G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Mark Fine. G'day everyone, welcome to Footyology. This is the Round 15 Review Edition and we are back to the full nine games and a lot happened in them. Some very inclement weather in various parts of the country, some thrillers, some upsets, Round 15, had it all. And here to wrap it up alongside me is my co-host, Mark Fine. How are you, Fine? Yeah, good. Cracking weekend of football with some, as you say, surprise results. Great comeback by the Bombers when all looked lost. And I'll explain why I think this something happened this round that will frank Geelong as this year's Premiers. Okay. They won? More than that. We'll get to it all when right. we do the game. But we always remember our great sponsors. And, of course, I speak of... Andrews Hamburgers, 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park. Their reputation is well-deserved. 80 years they're celebrating this year. I don't think you've stayed in business for 80 years doing anything unless you're good at it. And it's good hamburger weather at the moment too. And they, that's, they don't do a lot more than just great hamburgers and all, all the... On chips. I'm saying... And, good and chips. All, and all the trimmings. So 144 Bridport Street and a big cheerio to Nick Spartels of Nick Spartels and Hardwick Build Co. And... There's a company that absolutely delivers the best house renovations and builds in inner city Melbourne. And windshields. That you now love to wear? Yeah, I haven't taken it off for about a week, to be perfectly honest. It's the only, uh, well, I was going to say, it's the only clean one I've got, but it's probably not clean now after a week. You're a walking billboard. I am. I am, and it's been remarked upon several times. All right, without further ado, let's get into the wraparound. On Footyology. Wrap around. All right. Uh, round 15 kicked off with the last of the Thursday night games. Jeez, it feels like last round now, to be perfectly honest. But uh, it was a great way to kick it off. What a thriller at Marvel Stadium. Essendon prevailing. Well, not prevailing. They came from the clouds, to be honest. With a six-point win over GWS. 12-5 accuracy, helping win the day. 77, defeating GWS. 10-11. 71, two goals each to Laverde, McKernan and Hooker, uh, who I'll talk about a bit later on. For the Giants, three to Cameron and two to Finlayson, the rest singles. Uh, basically, the Don started better, but the second and third quarters both definitely belong to the Giants, who should have been further in front. And they did get further in front early in the last quarter. Um, in fact, with, I think, 12 minutes to go, they still led by... 19 points, uh, whereupon the Bombers seized control. And I think um, it was about 15 inside 50s to one in the last 15 minutes of the quarter. It was just a question of could they actually put it on the board and after uh, taking three quarters to uh, compile six goals, they managed to kick 6-1 in the last quarter. And, of course, Kyle Hooker winning the day with uh, a juggled mark and goal uh, within the last 40 seconds uh, flying shot from Josh Kelly right at the finish went out on the full for the Giants as the siren rang. 
and uh, pandemonium ensued in the stands finally where I was sitting. Smallish crowd, 25,195. But, geez, they made a lot of noise. And uh, I've got to say, with my supporters hat on, it was a very, very exciting last few minutes. This is a classic example of a side that has stretched the rubber band, not having the poise, not having the wherewithal to snap that rubber band and put themselves out of reach of their opposition. Because really, they got to, I think, 19 points kept being the margin that GWS were up, and they were all over Essendon really like a rash. A couple of times, it looked almost certain that they were going to kick the next goal, and I think that would have just about been the end of the issue. Mm. But they didn't do it, and to Essendon's credit, and most importantly, John Worsfold's credit, a couple of important moves. Hooker went forward. Well, Hooker went into the ruck, which was important. And then Hooker exploited the mobility of GWS's ruckman, was able to get forward. This was testimony to football played between the ears at the end by Essendon. I thought that they picked exactly the right time to take the game on. And that's when Essendon play best. You know, Brisbane are way up on the ladder because they play like that all the time. And I really believe Essendon should do that from the first bounce now. Well, they showed, um, yeah, well, we've said that before. They showed the sort of resilience I thought that they showed against Collingwood on Anzac Day when they didn't finish up getting the points. But they really toughed it out, which hasn't been a, a real... Um, hasn't been a trademark of theirs this year. And uh, as you say, they just sort of hung around and in, in the end, fortunes turned. Um, some big performances. Zach Merritt was really struggling early with his disposal despite getting a lot of it, but I thought he ended up being really important. Adam Sard off halfback, a couple of massive efforts, which almost a couple of 12-point plays where his intercepts sort of saved a goal and then he helped create a goal. I thought McKernan played a great game. It's a remarkable how often he stands up when uh, things are looking a bit dire for them. As to quote Rowan Connolly, more on that later. Oh, okay, yeah, good. Um, and a bloke who, I've got to say, I, I was, again, sitting in the crowd, didn't look at the stats, didn't really listen to the commentary much. I thought this guy was fantastic, and I, I was staggered he wasn't in anyone's best. Mason Redman. Very if good. He, if he isn't the find of a season for Essendon, I'll go he, because he's... He's composed, his disposal is good. He, he uh, laid a really important tackle uh, when the scores were level and Nick Haynes was trying to bust through. Yeah, very good at, very good at the end, wasn't he? Yeah, Redman yeah. No, he's been a marvellous find. And the other guy, and I know you know I like him, but um, I, I missed in the flurry how good his last quarter was. I only noticed it again when I watched it again. Kyle Langford had a really, yep. really big last quarter. So yeah, good. Well done, Langers. Yeah, it was a good win by the Bombers. And I, I agree with you on GWS. And I, this might sound harsh. I mean, they're, they're up the top of the ladder and they've, by and large, been pretty damn good. But I don't think they can win the flag. And that's because of exactly what you said. They just lack that last little sort of push over the cliff. Yeah, when, when the game was being played at two different tempos and they really were allowed to attack and not worry too much about defending... Mm. All their obvious skills were were there on display. And when you have a midfield with Kelly and Canilio, it, it gives you, as well as Taranto, I mean, there's so much skill there. They're just little things that other players 
can't do, they can do, mm. makes the difference. Yeah. But when it became a desperate defence-based last 10 minutes, mm. those same heroes were inadequate. Uh, just a final little but on this game for the Bombers. So big ramifications out of this injury-wise. Paddy Ambrose uh, did a quad in the uh, warm-up, and he looks like missing at least four weeks. And he's been a pivotal player in that defence this year, so that's a big loss. Possibly even a bigger loss in structural terms, Tom Bell Chambers, whose calf looks like keeping him out for eight weeks, so possibly the rest of the season. So... Where do they go? Well, uh, Sean McKernan, yeah. Do, do you use him in the ruck? I don't know if he can sustain the ruck for a whole two months. Zach Clark, does he come back in? He has to. Well, gee, there'll be a lot of people with reservations about that because he doesn't offer a lot besides his ruck work. But uh, they're two injuries that um, really aren't going to help the Bombers. They're 7-7. You know, they probably need to win six of the last eight games. I think the odds are against them getting there. But, you know, if they show the sort of pluck they showed on Thursday night, you never know. All right, let's go down to the Cattery Friday evening. Now, I thought this was a a terrific game, really enjoyed it. Uh, In the end, a relatively comfortable 27-point win to Geelong over Adelaide, 14-12-96. The Crows, 10-9-69. But, uh, gee, it was a, it was a damn good uh, contest for at least three quarters. Um, Geelong only a point up at the break, um, winning the game in the end with uh, three goals to one last quarter. And you could probably see the writing on the wall for most of the second half. They started to dominate the play. The Crows really took it up to them early, I thought. They were terrific early. Uh, five goals in that first quarter. Ablett two, Hawkins two, Kelly two, Myers two, Guthrie two for the Cats. And for the Crows, the only multiple goal kickers, Himmelberg and Seedsman. Thought this was a really high-quality game in a season that, I, I, disappointingly, I have to say, hasn't necessarily had a heap of quality games. What do you make of it? This was a good win by Geelong. Remember, they, against Port Adelaide, were disappointing. So when they were trailing early against Adelaide, maybe some people were thinking that uh, things had cooled off for them, but I said at the top of the program that I thought that what would eventuate in this game, to me, is the final piece in the puzzle that makes Geelong clear favourites for the Premiership and will give them an opportunity to circumvent, to take out probably their major hurdle in winning that Premiership. And what I'm saying is this. Their two main opponents appear to be West Coast and Collingwood. Now, Collingwood, of course, terrible on the weekend, but still you have to put them in the frame. Mm. And in the case of both sides, they may well find one or may well have found one place where they had an advantage over Geelong, and that was in the ruck. Brody Grundy, we know, can win games almost on his own. And with Nick Natanui back, the West Coast Eagles potentially have a match winner there. Mm. Now... Mark Blitzavs has played at full-back basically for the last year and a half. He won them this game. He came into the ruck and was nothing short of outstanding. And Riley O'Brien was actually winning the hitouts. Now, what Geelong should do and may well do is put Blitzavs back into full-back for the rest of the season. One of the reasons he was so good, Ruckman now are going one out for most of the game. They're getting pretty banged up. Mm. You saw today Max Gorn, obviously, in a single incident, but he slowed to a walk. 
it's going to be hard for these top ruckmen, Gorn, Grundy, not Gorn, not relevant in the finals, but Grundy, Nat and Nui coming back without a pre-season under his belt mm. to go all day. Well, if you can throw Mark Blitzavs in the ruck at a Grundy, if he's on fire, at Nat and Nui, if he's on fire, he can leap and he was so mobile that is just more versatility for this incredibly versatile team and gives them not just cover, but strength in the one place they may have been weak. So you can you leave Stanley as part of the equation, though, do you? Absolutely. He's yeah. your first ruckman. Yeah. But the team can shift around. It's a wonderful thing. Hawkins takes all the throw-ins and ball-ups deep in the forward line because he can turn them into goals. Stanley can do work around the ground. And we now have seen the Blitzarves can be rolled into the midfield, and with his athleticism, he can jump and run and create absolute havoc. He turned the game on its head. Yeah, no, it's a good, a really good observation. I, I think there's two qualities they've found this year that they haven't had for a few years. One of them is flexibility with, with the structure, and you've just given a really good example of it. The other one is um, ability on the outside. They've looked to me at times to be a bit pedestrian, lacking a bit of explosiveness. And I reckon they've got that now. And don't forget, Gary Rowan wasn't part of this. But, you know, the likes of Myers, um, Dowhouse, and Tim Kelly. I mean, you know, we sing his praises every week. But he was just absolutely sensational for him again. He's got to be a big chance of winning the Brownlow. Uh, Jordan Clark, I'm loving what he's doing. It's just got so many options. I yeah. mean, Dangerfield is a brilliant midfielder, but he's mm. also a brilliant lead-up forward. Yeah, well, see, this is the flexibility that they they really lacked in previous seasons. And I think, you know, perhaps it's a greater flexibility than their other flag aspirants, uh, the other flag aspirants have. I think it probably is. We should talk uh, quickly about Adelaide because I, I thought it was a pretty worthwhile performance by them. But, and I discussed this with someone on Twitter after the game, actually, I just don't see, I don't think they're going to get back to the level they were playing at two years ago. And even that wasn't in the finish good enough to Correct. win them a flag. Yeah, they are not good enough to win a premiership. Look, So what, what have they lost that they had then? Well, they not that much because they they weren't good enough to win a premiership. Yeah. That, I really feel that. I, I feel that they. Well, they were the best performed side of the season. Yeah, yeah. Look, what have they lost? Whatever you hope for from Taylor Walker seems to be sort of every year more sporadic, less and less. Yeah. Jenkins was a good player a couple of years ago. Mm. Well, he's, he's been in reasonable form, but now he's then he injured. injured. Now Lynch is injured, yeah. So yeah. They're, they're, they're not getting continuity. Eddie no. Betts is a bit uh, getting older. hit or miss. So yeah. that forward line, which was explosive, mm. exciting and dangerous, mm. has for various reasons not been able to reproduce. And I think that's where they miss out. Yeah, no, I think you're, they're, they're, they're a very good pressure team two years ago too, which sort of got overlooked with them a, a bit. And without having looked at the figures, I'd, I'd be pretty confident that those numbers for forward line pressure have dropped away a fair bit. So well, What they have done well is, especially with Duday not playing this season and Lever going to Melbourne, They've been able to replace them and almost supersede them. I mean, Alex Keith yeah. is fantastic. Yeah, is. Their backline holds up quite well. Mm. Yeah, it does. But they they are your sort of proverbial bottom half of the eight side, aren't they? Yeah, I think so. All right, let's move on. All right, let's go to the MCG Saturday afternoon and the heavens opened. In fact, I was having a, I had a rather nice brunch at uh, the, um, what is it called? Rowena Street Milk Bar, I think it's called, uh, right near the MCG. 
and uh, left just as the crowd was sort of filtering past. And I thought, oh boy, you're in for a downpour. Did the heavens open? It was wet. And then just after the game finished, it actually got even wetter. But um, for a game in wet weather, I thought this was a really gripping contest and uh, a thriller in the finish. And the Eagles prevailed. 11-11-77, Lord Nelson. Defeating Hawthorne by six points, an inaccurate Hawthorne, nine goals, 17, 71. Um, all single goal kickers for the Hawks. Not so for the Eagles, who had a fantastic performer up forward in the form of Jack Darling. And another one who ended up kicking the match winner, Jamie Cripps, three goals to him, two goals to Ryan. And um, there were stages in this game where you thought, oh, West Coast is going to pull away. Hawthorne turned it on in a fantastic third quarter by the Hawks. Absolutely dominated play, but they couldn't put it on the scoreboard. Four goals, seven to one goal straight in that third quarter. So that was their chance. And sure enough, the Eagles came again with four goals in the last quarter. And um, it was inter- I, I couldn't sort of make up my mind what was going to happen when it was really tight in that last term. But eventually, um, the Eagles sort of had the better of that last five minutes. Great snap from Cripps. Very reminiscent of um, Paul Chapman's goal square snap in the 09 grand final. Yeah. Sorry to bring that up, but it was. And, and Melchevsky's. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, but a really good win for the Eagles, I think. You know, again, a win on the road, a win at the MCG, a win under duress. Um, importantly, Nick Nat came back and I thought acquitted himself pretty well in the game time he had. Um, so another win which uh, you use the word franking, I think, franks them as a very legitimate chance to go back to back. I see you in the best players. Shuey, who was fantastic, was named best. <clears throat> Jack Darling on a wet day, kicked five goals. He also got up the ground towards the end of the game and took a telling mark and made a couple of telling contests that enabled them the ball to get the ball down to Cripps. Mm. He was, gee, talk about, is there a player in the competition whose best and worst is further apart? Um, oh, probably if I sat down and thought about it for 10 minutes, but we don't have 10 minutes. I reckon not. No, I reckon maybe I not. could give you 10 days. <laughs> He can be nothing, but he was everything in this game. The yeah. difference between the two teams. I think Hawthorne would be delighted with the way O'Meara played. Yeah. He was solid, brave, and telling right throughout the game. And Jarman Impey's last quarter was superb. Yeah. No, he's been a good pickup. He for him. was wonderful. That's his spot, halfback flank, by the way. Mm. Not up forward. Halfback flank, brilliant. It, it, looking at the best, though, it sort of gives you an idea where Hawthorne are at, doesn't it? O'Meara uh, is proving his worth now. Warple has been an undoubted great find for them. Impey playing great footy for them. Uh, no Bruce, no Gunston. Their contributions can't be relied upon on a weekly basis now. No Burgoyne. Uh, I think Sean's you know, finally, yep. Father Time, coming, starting coming, to catch up with him. Playing his last season. Puopolo, similarly. Yep. Um, you know, this is definitely a side in transition, isn't it? It is. Their back line, you know, Frawley's okay, but in the modern game, every player is required to have facets, and he's probably just a defender now. Mm. Doesn't springboard into attack. Birchall, I think, played his first game this week for Box Hill on the long road back. Uh, you can't even think of him as a factor now. He's 31 years old. True, you know? but that's the sort of player they miss. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, look, I mean, you know, it is 
it's easy to forget, you know, it's four years since they won the third league of yeah, that of premiership hat-trick, you know, yep. and four years in football terms can be an eternity. So, um, you know, whereas two years ago they had that ordinary year, but they seemed to turn up some, you know, sort of talent and we thought, geez, they, you know, they've rebounded last year. It was a bit of a false dawn, really, wasn't yeah. it? You know, they would have won the game if Segler could have kicked properly. Yeah, we kicked, what, three behinds, I yeah, think, in the end? Yeah, just couldn't strike the ball. But that, And that's very sort of unhawthorn. That score of 9-17 is very unhawthorn Like They're a side that sort of pride themselves on their kicking skills, and um, they let them down. But uh, important win for the Eagles, too, because as much as I think they're a flag chance, I do think they need a home final too um, to make it a you know a really good chance. Absolutely. Well, they got a lot of help later later on Saturday, didn't they? With the umps, with North Melbourne. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, we'll get to that shortly. All right. Uh, so we leave the MCG and we head up to uh, a far more pleasant uh, day up at the SCG. All right. I can't say there was a. Huge amount of expectation over this clash, but it did provide uh, one of the greatest upsets in modern football history last year when Gold Coast got up from nowhere to beat Sydney. Didn't happen this time, although they gave him a, a real contest for at least a half this time. In the end, though, comfortable 42-point win for the Swans. 14-9-93, defeating Gold Coast 7-9-51. Two goals each to Reed, Blakey, Ronke, Papley and Heaney. A lot of E's. And uh, McPherson, the only multiple goal kicker for the Suns. I didn't see a heap of this game. I did. Okay, well, far away. Well, the Sydney Swans faced a team that, at the moment, can play good football for a period. A shortish period. And that is the Gold Coast. And again, early on in the game, they were good Gold Coast. They... Very competitive in the first quarter. Unlucky not to be further ahead. They had plenty of the ball. Uh, Ballard. Not, people don't make much of Charlie Ballard, do they? Well, they don't make much of many Gold Coast players, let's be honest. Played very well early on in the game. Uh, a footballer for whom making the team has been highly problematic. Bobbed up a couple of times in the first quarter. Kicked one, I think, and had chances for a couple more. Bradley Shear. Very rarely seen for the Gold Coast. Yep. In fact, there were players up either end. James Rose was playing for the Swans. Have you seen his record? He, it's he odd. plays very sporadically. He's played five years. He's played a game, at least one game, in his five years of league football, yeah. but no more than five. He's, yeah. he's up to like 14 in five years. Well, they've been patient with him and yep. him with them. <laughs> Correct. Uh, ultimately, it was really, first of all, a Lear-a-Lear. He, very interesting, uh, very similar, I guess, to what happened to Essendon with Bell Chambers. Mm. Uh, Sinclair got injured. Yeah, he did his shoulder dislocate. It, it popped out. Yeah, they brought him back, but then it just popped out again. And it was almost the making of them. They became more mobile. And Alir Alir got forward, kicked a goal, which is first goal he'd kick for. Second. Oh, I thought it was the first he kicked for. Him. No, first in Sydney, he kicked that winning goal. Uh, he was. He. Ah. Oh. Did he? Yeah, yeah. He kicked a goal. He kicked a famous goal. They mobbed him. Was that against North? At at at, at Eddie Head Stadium. You sure it wasn't Magic Door who kicked that goal against Sydney? And Alira Lear kicked had the final say by kicking the winning goal okay. against North Melbourne. I'm All sure. Right. I'm sure he did. We can check that up. But I'm sure he kicked a winning goal for them. All right. I remember him with a huge smile on his face after the game, and Magjack came over and he hugged Magjack, but he was the winner. Anyhow, uh, ultimately, 
Sydney overran, and we're not surprised when they overrun teams, are, are we? They got good contributions. I mean, this kid, Blakey, he's going to be a star. He took the bravest mark I think I've seen in football yeah, and kicked a goal. Absolutely hammered by Jared Witts, didn't he, when he took Full it? Full on. Witts should get in trouble for it, but might not because he got straight back up. Mm-hmm. It reminded me a bit of the incident that claimed Harris Andrews last year. Mm. Remember Harris Andrews was... Yeah, Jeremy Cameron. Yeah, in that marking contest. It yeah. was not dissimilar to that. He got up and he kicked the goal. It was heroic, to say the least. And Sydney certainly keep their season alive. They won the way they should win, overcoming a pretty brave Gold Coast who ultimately are too young, inexperienced, and don't have the bodies to play out games of football. But it was a, it was quite an entertaining game of footy. Where do we reckon the Swans are at, just quickly? Well, they've got that problem, don't they? Without Franklin, mm. they just don't have that... Oomph. F- yeah, that, that forward line, or that, that unmatchable player, that piece of dazzle mm. that gets you over the line in a game of football. Yeah, no, I agree. In close games. So without him... Unfortunately, it hasn't been a good year for Buddy, and I think his hamstring is going to be, in the end, the difference between Swans incredibly making the finals again and not. Yeah, I reckon they're 8th to 12th in that bracket for me. Yep. All right, that's enough on that game. Let's go to Marvel Stadium Saturday evening. Okay, Marvel Stadium, the Pies and the Roos, and uh, this was a pretty big upset, I think it's safe to say. North Melbourne, stunning victory, 44-point victors over Collingwood, 11-15-81, defeating the Pies, five goals, seven, 37, their lowest score, incredibly, since 1995. And this was a victory, really, in, in terms of the balance of play. Um, the Roos should have been up by a lot more for a lot longer of this game. Finally, put it on the board, really, in the second half. But they were just dominant everywhere. They were dominant midfield. Um, their defence, way too good for the Pies. Pretty insipid forward setup, And uh, up forward, um, got the job done, even without Ben Brown kicking a goal. So another... Sort of vindication of them. Two goals, uh, sorry, three goals to Jack Zebel in the finish. Two to Turner. Two to Luke Davies Uniac, who is starting to play some pretty decent footy at senior level. And for the Pies, only one multiple goal kicker, Mason Cox. Uh, Zebel outstanding. Ben Cunnington outstanding. Joy Simpkin outstanding. What a great game he played. He's a tough little unit, Joy. And um, for the Pies, well, they had. Adam Trelaw accumulating a lot of the ball. Uh, Darcy Moore was okay, moved him forward, really, when they things looked pretty desperate in the finish. And they had other players accumulating possessions, e.g. Scott Pendlebury, uh, Phillips likewise, but uh, never really got in the hunt and they were sort of fumbly and uh, just very un-Collingwood-like. I guess the obvious narrative you take out of this game, Finey, is that this one's been coming for a while. They've been playing, and in fact, I'm going to talk about the Pies in Hot or Not, so I better not fire my shots here, but um, I sort of feel like they've just been getting it done with brilliant quarters here and there, and uh, it finally caught up with them on Saturday evening. Yeah, it was. I think we mentioned in the preview that either we would find out sooner rather than later that Collingwood's late game form 
was indicative of their overall ability to play football or the first three quarters of many games was going to be indicative. And I felt against North Melbourne, we would see a four-quarter effort by Collingwood because Nathan Buckley certainly read them the riot act last week, even though they got over the line, understanding that they're not playing four-quarter football. Well, it was put to them and they were put to the sword. We will mark this night as, I believe, the night that North Melbourne withdrew from the race of looking for an AFL coach for next uh, you're, season. You're of, of that ilk as well. Yeah, I think okay, so. Okay, you're not going to like my rant then. Okay. No, I just think that Reece Shaw has locked up the position. It's a bit early. I think I think you'll find he has. Okay. These things, that's a big win. And no, no, look, I'm not undermining his credentials at all, but I'm just saying, like, you, you know. Uh, the you... reason I say that is because I don't think that they were crying out for a change. It was Brad Scott that pulled the pin. So the system there wasn't broken necessarily. Mm. And he is from within the system. Yeah. Yet they're, they're found a little bit more underneath him. Maybe a freedom, maybe an opportunity for a clean slate for some players in their own mind has worked very well. And I can't imagine, and especially North being the club that they are, they're a loyal club. Yeah. And they don't swing. Of recent years, they have not swung the axe on or off field particularly. Mm. Well, I'll, I'll tell you what. We, we know that there was that year they got rid of older players, but yeah. that was to a plan. Yeah. I'll give Reese um, his dues on this score. We interviewed him pre-game on 3RW, and I asked him, you know, what's the sort of one biggest difference you think um, you're noticing at the moment compared to early in the season? He was, and he talked about our focus on the contest. We wanted to be a better contested team. And doing the boundary, I noticed one of the messages on their board down at the bench level was, um, I can't remember the exact wording, but it was basically get the balance of inside and outside right. And they really did. Early in the game where Collingwood was still in it, the Pies did were winning the contested ball marginally, but the Roos were dominant on the outside. But as soon as they redressed that imbalance and started to win their share of the contestable and the clearances, um, they absolutely spanked the pies everywhere. So they, they definitely got the balance right. Um, their senior players are, are, are playing terrific footy. I thought Scotty Thompson was really good too. You know, he doesn't get many dues these days. But there was one chase in particular, I think it might have been the third quarter, and, and Collingwood looked like they were going to get a goal. And he just harassed and harassed and harassed and ended up not only repelling a goal but sort of creating a movement forward himself. Um, so I thought he was great. I thought Tarrant was really good. Um, and again, you know, this reliance on Ben Brown. Well, uh, Saturday night was the proof that um, he doesn't necessarily have to kick a bag for him to win. So a great win for them. And, you know, look, I hate to say I told you so. Well, I didn't really because I tipped him in my eight and they're not going to make it. But they're a much better side than people give them credit for. Well, they certainly are now of recent weeks playing football that, means that they can't be ruled out for that open slot at the bottom of the eight. Yeah, well, gee, there's a lot of contenders for it, so it's going to be a pretty interesting chase. I also was watching another game, and I was quite enjoying it. I think I was the only person in Australia watching it. What was it? It was a really interesting game of football that Collingwood lost by four points, and disgraceful that they lost it. Because right through the night, they and Port Adelaide were almost on the same score. (laughs) Now, Port Adelaide were playing... In torrential rain, just before half time, it was the heaviest you've ever seen. Yeah. So they are playing wet weather football in the worst of conditions. Yeah. Collingwood are under the roof, and I was quite amused by how tight the game was and the Port Adelaide hung on and won. All right, well, hold fire on that because we're about to talk about it right now. 
Okay, Adelaide Saturday evening and a terrific win to the Western Bulldogs in shocking conditions. Boy, did it pelt down over there. 10 goals, 6, 66 the Bulldogs, 25-point winners over Port Adelaide, 5, 11, 41, 3 goals to Josh Shackey, 2 to Lipinski and 2 to Dixon, singles the rest, only multiple for Port Adelaide, Charlie Dixon with 2, and uh, Bulldogs took an early ascendancy in this game, finally, and never really looked like losing it. Oh, Port Adelaide drew near level during the third quarter, but the Bulldogs were able to steady and almost counterintuitively, their main man in wet conditions was Josh Shackey. It was unbelievable. Here's a guy that had never really stamped himself on a game of football and in pouring rain, in fact, when the rain was at its hardest, he was taking marks. It was a great game by Shackey. Looked like he had a pretty severe new haircut. Do you think that might have helped? It didn't help him from not copping a bit of a concussion scare again in the game. He's got a bit of a concern there. And a couple of weeks ago, there were worries for him. He went off but came back on. The forward line was well served by the bustling work of Tory Dixon, who kicked the seal or a magnificent goal in the last quarter. He's a beautiful kick of goal, Dixon. And it was pointed out on the coverage that over the last um, 10 years, he's been the best set shot at goal in football. So mm. he franked that form. I know you like that word. Well, it's the third time we've used it. Thank you, Frank. With uh, the match-winning goal, they were well served by the unlikely twins, even though they're not related, the Smith twins. They both sport, <laughs> Rourke and Bailey, both sport unfashionable mullets. Pity Clay retired. Yeah, it is pity because he had an injury-wracked career. But it was a down, it was down and dirty in tough conditions. And the Bulldogs again showed their willingness to fight ferociously. Jackson McRae was fantastic. And for the Port Adelaide team, well, they have their issues. Dixon was very good. Mm. He was excellent. But, and you know, did you hear the form of some of their star players in the Sandful? Uh, who are you talking about? Rockliffe had 57 possessions. <laughs> oh, Jesus. And Westhoff had 37 possessions and kicked three goals. Right, okay. And when you had a look at their team with Big Laddams unsuited by the conditions, he kicked a goal, but he was not looking great, the, and a couple of others, you'd say that the best Port Adelaide 22 might not have played on Saturday night. How did our boys go? It was a tougher night for Rosie, for Butters. Did everyone Harder. know him? Yeah, everyone knew it was Butters. We can't do that every week. No, no, we can't. Most weeks, so. The What win, about Wee Willem? How did he go? He played, but again, didn't have much of an impression. The Willem who? Willem Drew. The game, they deserved to win. Port Adelaide really came at them in the third quarter, but they peppered the goals. Powell peppered the goals in the third quarter. <laughs> he didn't play either. Uh, in the third quarter with little... Joy, and that was thanks to a sturdy Bulldogs defence. Look, Trengove was outsized with Dixon, and that was probably Port Adelaide's best chance of winning, but the conditions made it hard for Dixon to capitalise on that. I would have thought a side that has a tendency to over-possess the ball would really struggle in those sorts of conditions. Yeah, but Bulldogs, they do have a lot of midfield possession, but a lot of it is one off the deck. You know, I, I, I agree. They do over, 
it seems that they overpossess it at Marvel Stadium, but their ability to win contested ball was what won them the game, and they've got a lot of midfielders that can do that and did that. Dunkley's been a bit of a revelation, hasn't yeah, he? Yeah, that big body came in. And Bot- look, I haven't really mentioned the star of the show. was Bond and Pelly in the first half. We was, sort of come uh, to expect it, don't we? It was unbelievable. When, the, when it was teaming down, and I mean teaming down, he was so sure-handed, and he really was the difference that set the game up at halftime. So Port, to me, you know, they're sort of eternally disappointing, aren't they? And I, I put Fremantle in the same boat, and we're going to come to that game. But, you know, they're sides that sort of get your hopes up, and then they let, inevitably let you down. Well, Bruce McAvaney, is he a Port Adelaide supporter? I think he is, the way he was yeah, he might be. moaning. Um, he said in Adelaide... Moaning in disappointment, hopefully. Yes. <laughs> okay. Good. Yes, that sort of moan. He said that in Adelaide, when you ask a Port Adelaide supporter, are they going to win this weekend, invariably the answer will be, depends which Port Adelaide yeah. turns up. Yeah, well, they are a bit like that, aren't they? Yep. They should be better than they are. Yeah, their best is, we saw against Geelong, irresistible. So how, how do we view, I mean, there's no doubt that's a great win. How do we view the Bulldogs? Should we... Should we completely cast aside for all time the story of the you know the premier that hasn't kicked yeah. on, or do we just pretend that didn't happen and this is a side that's on the up? I think the latter. I, I look mm. at it as a different team, different dynamic. But it's, it's a different team. I, in it's fact, very early, different. Well, early in the season, I mean, there's still I think 14 players from the premiership side still yeah, on but, the but, books. But the key, you, you're going forward now, looking for <laughs> Norton and. Josh Shackey, yeah. which is a very different way of playing football to the way that they did. Yeah. No, I, I view them as a different team. Harris English, he tends to get beaten badly each week. I thought, Harris what? English. English. <laughs> Sorry. Tim English. Tim English. It's a nice name, though. It's a, it's a nice combination. Sorry. And Tim, Tim Andrews. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, Tim English tends to get beaten every week. His time will come. Lysette really dominated him throughout the game. Boke was very good for Port Adelaide, but for the Bulldogs, this was a very good win. It was a real nose-over-the-ball tough victory, but I just think there's so many teams in that fighting for that seventh, eighth spot that could end up 14th anyhow, Mm. and I think that they're probably a little less reliable than a couple of the other teams coming up. Incidentally, just quickly on those slips of the tongue, last week, um, when I was talking about Charlie Cameron's goal and the banter he had, I, I said Daniel McAllister. Yeah. You never, I said it twice, and you never picked me oh, up. Do you remember who da- Daniel McAllister was? For Essendon? Yeah. That little forward type thing. I think he was picked at number four in the draft, played about yeah. three games. It was shocking. Um, who, who were you referring to? Uh, McKenzie. Ah, Yes. It is Mackenzie, isn't it? Yeah, Dan, Dan Mackenzie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Anyway, um, insert that last week if you're wondering what the hell I was talking about. Um, all right, so uh, really good win to the Bulldogs. Let's hope they can rack up a few more of them. Time to now talk about the three games on Sunday. And the first of those was back to Marvel Stadium, and it was Maddie's match, and it's become a very... Um, big part of the football calendar and a, a fantastic cause, of course, uh, in tribute to uh, the late Maddie Rewalt, um, sister of Nick and cousin of Jack, who very tragically passed away several years ago. But a great fundraising day that is in the games between St Kilda and Richmond. 
And I've got to say, finally, early on, I mean, it was very early on, I thought, Jesus, St Kilda are going to do to Richmond what they did two years ago because they started like a train with the first three goals of the game. Yep. Uh, in the end, though, a pretty good win to the Tigers, 16-7, 103 by 33 points over the Saints, 10-10-70. Four goals to Sydney Stack, uh, three goals to Mabior. Is it, have I got the pronunciation right? Yeah, Mabior? Mab- Chole, yes. three. Uh, three goals to Tom Winch and singles the rest. for the Saints, two goals to Josh Bruce and two goals to Nick Hind, who I quite like and quite wish Essendon had a drafted. But um, story of this game for me, uh, Sydney Stack. What I mean, we already know he's a gun and he's a very good chance of winning the Rising Star, but uh, they decided to move him forward. What an inspired move that was. Three goals in the first quarter. Uh, he's just got such brilliance, and he reads the game so beautiful, and he just he picks the moments, and he's a complete player for me. What a star. And uh, really impressive performance by Chole, too, I thought. Some real pluses out of this for Richmond, none the least, getting some of those senior players back and still Jack Rewalt to come back into that mix. Um, d- don't underestimate the Saints either. I mean, they led this game at half-time. Um, was so st- they were within a kick halfway through the last quarter. Correct. And I, I thought it was a really good performance by them, and I, I will refer to this in my rants, but I still reckon they've had a pretty decent season. Uh, a much better season than last year, and a much better season than anyone expected, and I reckon they're on the right track. In the end, class and experience probably prevailed. Um, what I will say about the Tigers... You know, there's always big ifs when you bring a whole clutch of players who've missed quite a lot of the season out injured and you look at it on paper and you think it should be great, but it often doesn't work like that. But, gee, I, I thought the form of most of them was pretty decent and uh, they'll continue to improve. And they're absolutely still a flag chance of mine. In fact, I, I would say even now, I think they're a better chance of winning a flag than, say, GWS. The game, look, St Kilda... Statistically, you'll have a look at St Kilda games and see how many inside 50s they have and ask whether or not there was a way that they could have won the game. But in truth, they move the ball very conservatively, very slowly. They send it from one side of the ground to the other. And often when they kick the ball inside 50, they're doing so against 16 of the opposition or 17 of the opposition. They need to take the game on a little bit more. One thing that has developed this season is that St Kilda have got a young Ruckman as promising as any in the competition. He's a good player, yeah, Robert he is. Marshall. he is. Around the ground. I mean, he's sort of Stefan Martin-like. He's just a little bit smaller than the huge monsters, but he's commanding around the ground. And as Stefan Martin gets a bit older, maybe that starts to become less of a factor for Steph. But Marshall's in the prime of his career, and he's they threw him forward at the mm, end. Of good the game. goal he kicked earlier, too. Yeah, and he had a shot of goal that would have put them within a point mm. quite late in the game. Richmond then opened it up, and an embarrassing goal for Mabior Chol at the end. Yes. The throw in that St Kilda didn't compete, and he just walked into the goals. That reminded me of schoolyard football when all the grade sixes are playing, and the kid that stayed down two years and should be informed, too just bullied and muscled his way into being the best footballer and the dumbest kid in the class. The seven goal last quarter for Richmond. Yeah, five of them coming Life. after twenty you yeah. know, after the twenty or from the twenty minute mark, but that's okay. Look, Richmond had to welcome back a lot of players and that can be problematic. 
that was pointed out. So many that hadn't played a lot of football coming back at once. And they also had to pick the right players to go out because they've got all those small forwards. And I think that balance is about right for Richmond. And the fact that their back line was bolstered to the point where Stack could go forward makes them far more dangerous up front. Lynch was quiet for most of the game. Did a few things. Great grab towards the end. Gold got his goals in the last quarter. That's okay. Or maybe got... And drove the goose in the third quarter. But what, what do you have a feeling? Uh, I thought Dustin Martin was fantastic. Yeah, he imposed himself on the game and probably won them the game. But he's looking to me like he's ready to sort of explode again. Yeah, yeah, he was great. There's no question he's close to his best form. They need Nan Curvis back in the team because Big Soldo got let a merry dance by Marshall. So without Nan Curvis in the side, I reserve my enthusiasm, but with him back in the team, I agree that they could have a tilt at it. I think he's still three to four weeks away, but Rewald, I think only one or two. And that'll be interesting because they need more firepower because Lynch really is not getting the job done. All right, uh, last one, quick answer. As a St Kilda supporter, do you think they've done okay this season? Yes, okay. Then why would you get rid of the coach? Because I'm trying to explain it like this. Their form that they showed early in the season was very good. And with the same sort of players to choose from, it has dropped off in the last month or so. Mm. So Most sides have peaks and troughs in the season. I'm saying, if they find some decent form between now and the end of the year, I'll say that that was just a peak and a trough during the season. Mm. But last year they fell away completely. If they fall away completely, finish third, last, get overtaken by a Carlton, for example, mm. that's not good enough. No. So I still think it's all to play for. Yeah, no, fair enough. All right. Uh, up to the Gabba now for Brisbane and Melbourne. Beautiful conditions up in Queensland for this one too. And it was, in the finish, a good win to Brisbane by 33 points, 15-17, 107 to the Demons, 11-8, 74 they had to work hard for it, though. Uh, got uh, It was a bit like Richmond and Kilda in the way that they really got the scoreboard gap only late in the game. But no doubt the winning uh, thrust delivered in the third quarter with an incredible quarter from Eric Hipwood. Four goals coming in that third term. Three in a row. One on the siren. And, and one early in the last. Those five goals came in 20 minutes. Yeah, no, it was just a, a dynamic burst of footy. That's him at his best. Uh, so he ended up with five, three to Zorko, singles the rest. And for Melbourne, two to Petrarca, two to Hannon, and singles the rest. You know, Melbourne, Melbourne, you know, compared to some of the performances they've delivered this year, I thought were, were eminently reasonable. And, of course, after being completely hamstrung uh, by the loss, very costly loss of Max Gorn in the ruck. But uh, Brisbane, they were very fumbly early, I thought, and they just kept, um, it was sort of like old Brisbane, and they kept creating opportunities and then stuffing them up themselves. You know, one too many handballs or poor old Cam Rayner, and we, we've talked about Didn't him. Didn't he butcher the ball in the third quarter? Well, he's just, his confidence is just shot. He can't, he can't kick that goal. He can't even field kick anymore. And, um, might be time, might have to uh, put him back in the kneeful again, I think, because uh, it's not doing his confidence a lot of good. But what I liked about him, and this is where they've improved, that capacity to turn things around and to, you know, sort of put the the fumbliness and, and the, um, you know, wasting of opportunities behind them 
and uh, eventually hit the scoreboard. And um, they did it pretty well in the finish. A couple of interesting feature, features from this game. Eric Hipwood is your classic, brilliant but enigmatic forward, of which there were so many in days gone by. But goal-kicking forwards now are sparse. So somebody like an Eric Hipwood is a highly valuable footballer. But there used to, for younger listeners, there used to be a lot of Eric Hipwoods around, guys that could smash the scoreboard, kick goals, and then not be seen for a, you know long stretches. Highlight reel type players. Have you got one in mind? I don't know why, but I just sort of Shane Loveless. Well, secured at Con Gorazidis. Oh, yeah, Con, yeah. I mean, spectacular at his best. He was. Rod Owen was another one at St Kilda. Rocket. Teams used to have them. Melbourne had the classic, Figge. Oh, yeah, Ted. Yeah. Oh, or John. Ted. Yeah. I mean, didn't he kick, he kick seven or something one day? He just was... Is that Ted or John? I thought John was the goalkeeper. Oh, maybe and... John, maybe yeah, John. Yeah. The blonde, curly blonde hair. They both had curly blonde hair. <laughs> anyway. But that sort of footballer was quite common in, in the past. Eric Hipwood was terrible in the first half. He, he Bradley Plain. All right, that's the last one I'm throwing in. Go on. Oh, they're, they're, every club had them. They were Adrian McAdam. Yeah. They, in the first half, he dropped a chess mark. He could have been fielding for, for South Africa. I mean, <laughs> he was terrible. But you can't, you can't deny the fact that he has brilliance and can kick the ball a country mile. Now... Another key mo- key aspect of this game was the arrival at Melbourne and the best of the best form of Stephen May. He yeah, was he was good. Very really good. good. What yeah. a good player he is. Great Kicked goal. A great kick. goal. Yeah. Yeah. Handed off to him by Oscar Baker. Mm. 60 metres out. He was on top of his business, wasn't he? And he was fired up too. You see him have yeah. a blow with oh, that's uh, how he Sam is. Frost. That's yeah. how he is. Yeah. He's passionate. No question about it. I guess Melbourne could point to... Max Gorn's, Gorn's debilitating knee injury as a turning point. Is it? No, I think it's ankle. Oh, ankle. Yeah, he rolled it. Oh, in right. fact, it looked yeah, ankle. It was ankle. Sorry, it looked it was really ankle. bad. You know what looked bad? Oscar McInerney. <laughs> oh, when he got whacked. Oh, he copped oh, yeah, it was that a... elbow to the. F- no, it wasn't nose. elbow. He he got it was uh, who was the uh, Melbourne player? There was nothing wrong with what he did. They no. both went for the ball. No, his head cannon into his like, hip. Uh, hip. It was. Yeah. His, it looked. It did look like it was an elbow. Yeah. But actually, on the replay, it was the bony part of the hip, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. No, there's nothing untoward yeah, of it. No. No. I, I thought initially it was the pointy part of the upper body, but mm. it was. It was. You're quite right. The bony part of the hip. Mm. So this was a game that Brisbane. Showed maturity in. Yeah. The maturity that Fremantle, who we're going to talk about in a moment, lacked, and the GWS lacked, Brisbane exhibited. Great, valuable win. Yeah, and which gives them nine wins now. So uh, they need another four from eight games. So uh, I I reckon they'll do it. Yep, they're playing well. And and deserve it, and it'll be a great story. All right, um, one game to go, and, uh, well, speaking of upsets, they don't come a lot bigger than this one. Let's talk about it. Last game of the round at Optus Stadium in Perth, and uh, what a fantastic afternoon for the Blues. This is one of the great wins, I reckon. Can't be rated highly enough. They've gone into the game without Patrick Cripps, without Harry Mackay, and they lost Charlie Curnow before quarter time. 
whereupon they found themselves 29 points in arrears. And you asked me earlier what uh, price would they have been at quarter time. Well, if someone can tell us, do so. But uh, Well, remember last year, Gold Coast were 29 points in arrears against, against Sydney, Sydney yeah. away from home, as Carlton were against Freo. Yeah. Gold Coast probably had less star power out than Carlton did, and they mm. certainly didn't lose their star forward during that quarter, and they were 100 to 1. No, it, it's on a on a par with that, definitely. No, it's, it's one of the great wins this season for the Blues. How did they do it? Well, they just fought their way back into the game. They started to win more of the footy in that second quarter, four goals to just one. Um, even then, Frio kicked a little bit, didn't they? Two goals each in the third term. And then Frio... Uh, kicked two of the first three goals of the last quarter through Tucker and Walters. Uh, that McCarthy, uh, pretty okay for them up forward with four. A subdued Walters, but he still chipped in with two. Fife dominant around the ground. So how did the Blues do it? They just It was a win absolutely full of grit. So in the end, uh, five goals, five in the last quarter to... Three goals, one to the Dockers, and uh, they were within a kick for uh, the last few minutes, and Daisy Thomas kicked one uh, off the ground or running... Off the ground. Yeah, running into an an open goal. That put them up, and then I thought, oh, geez, I've lost a few like this, and uh, lo and behold, uh, Frio's next attack, um, there's a kick into Michael Walters, who could have got a free kick, didn't. Ball spilled, Switkowski picked it up, snapped a lovely goal, uh, a minute and five seconds left on the clock at that stage, and I thought, oh, the Blues, another honourable loss. Um, but no, they got it. Uh, they won the clearance. They got it inside 50. Great work from Levi Casbolt. Had to fight off about three Frio players. Managed to almost wrench the ball out to Mark Murphy, who, after a fantastic game from him, 35 possessions, uh, check-sided a snap to win the game, went back to the centre with, what, 15 or so seconds left on the clock, or sorry, 31 left on the clock, and they managed to wind that down. We're in possession of the ball and chipping it around when the siren went, and uh, a fantastic win for the Blues, their third of the season. Like I said, Murphy, 35 touches. Ed Curnow, 32. Sam Walsh, 30 from the debutante. Uh, For the Dockers, uh, Connor Blakely, 31. Fife, as you said, pretty solid, 29. But desperately disappointing by them, as it is an absolute triumph for Carlton. Add to their woes, it looked like Cruiser might have been often injured as well, but he came back to dominate in the ruck, and Fremantle's injuries have ultimately come home to roost because they got beaten for clearances thanks to great ruck work by Cruiser in the second half, and they're... No lob. Oh, look, I don't want to make excuses for them because they should have won this game, but uh, no pierce down back. There was plenty of high ball in that last quarter that Hamling killed one but then was unable to kill the one that got to the back and Dale Thomas kicked through for the goal. Oh, what do you say about Fremantle? You say this, that they're not good enough to make the eight because you can't lose games like that. That that they. Well, they're like Port Adelaide. Oh, that, that's... Yeah, for a team that had presented to them, given the results, this was a vital game for them. The game was handed to them on a platter with the withdrawal of Cripps, the injury to Kurnow, and the lead that they had. Sorry, that is worse. And at home. That's worse than anything Port Adelaide serves up. So uh, on, on the basis that you think Reece Shaw will now get the North job, do we think David Teague will get the Carlton job? Two wins out of three? Carlton are a harder crowd to please, and David Teague being a... 
sort of uh, less profiled coach than some on the back of Brendan Bolton. There would be people at Carlton that are, are looking for the Messiah fix as they still. Often yeah, I don't. Yeah. Well, That's they don't learn if they do. Yeah, well, they haven't learned over decades. Mm. Well, there there are no messiahs out there. Well, Clarkson. Oh, I God. mean, he's committed you're going to Hawthorne. Ben, but... You know, Ben Dixon's. Um, no, column. but I'm just saying. I'm not going with the column. I'm going with Carlton's mentality. Yeah, I'm just saying that Reece Shaw is safer than Teague, but Teague's performances have been utterly outstanding. Carlton have, have done brilliantly since he's taken over. Yeah. Well, it'll be interesting to watch how the rest all of, of the all season of the, pans out. All of these games, the two wins and the loss to Bulldogs, coming after trailing by considerable margins. Yeah. Yeah. No, fantastic win for the Blues and uh, good on them. And I've got to say, I'm sure a lot of people are in this boat. I, I couldn't help the last, you know, I, I didn't really care who won. Last five minutes, I couldn't help find myself barracking for the Blues. Do you reckon is it a sign of where Carlton is, that people are starting to sort of, you know, wish them well. <laughs> it was hard to barrack for them because when you looked at the game and they were in white and Frio were in deep purple, yeah, you sort of, your historical understanding of watching football was wrong, made it? you think that Carlton were the team in the darker colours. That's true. And the knowledge that if the game had been played here, it would have been completely the reverse. Did you see any of the St Kilda-Richmond game on TV? I saw the whole St Kilda-Richmond game. On TV? Yeah. Did you feel there's something wrong with the tube on your TV? No, because I knew it was Maddie's match. <laughs> that that purple just looks like such a washed out blue, a red. I don't... <laughs> yeah. I know... I know TVs don't have picture tubes anymore, but when, yeah. in the olden days, when your picture tube was going, that is the sort of thing that yeah, would happen. Yeah. But how come uh, St Kilda wear purple and Richmond don't wear purple anywhere? On the oh, they have purple armbands. Not much of a concession. They should have a purple sash, shouldn't they? Uh, I think so, just for that one game. Yeah. All right, there is round 15 suitably wrapped up, uh, each game done in detail. Let's now talk about what were the highs and the lows of the weekend of footy. On Footyology, hot or not. All right, I'm going to kick us off and I'm going back to Thursday evening and that thriller between the Bombers and the Giants and the man who uh, wrested the advantage away from the Giants and brought home the bacon for the home team, Kale Hooker, big Kale, uh, had done a pretty reasonable job in defence up to that stage, but uh, Essendon needed something. And the opportunity came, of course, with Tom Bell Chambers getting injured. Kyle Hooker went into the ruck, but also managed to drift forward. And in fact, in the last quarter, he was everywhere. He kicked two goals of the six that the Bombers kicked to win the game, including the match winner. And that was an incredible bit of play, of course. He contested a mark right on the point of the 50. Um, didn't get the mark, but managed to uh, basically wrestle the ball down to Kyle Langford. Um, actually, Lang has fumbled it, and Andy McGrath picked it up, but that little fumble enabled Hooker enough time to get back into the goal face where it was him and two Giants opponents, but uh, the kick from Connor McKenna was to his advantage. He juggled the mark and uh, kicked truly to deliver victory to the Bombers. It was a big last quarter from him, a fantastic effort, full of leadership and... Um, he is one of the real leaders of that club, and I thought he, he played uh, exerted a fantastic physical presence, and uh, well done, Kyle. My first is a not. Rowan Connolly. Oh, what have I done? Now, Rowan, 
this would be this would make I think, say for the bye weekend, six out of seven weeks, that one of your hots or nots is Essendon. Either if they play badly, it's the whole team, <laughs> or if they play well, one of their players gets a hot. You don't reckon he deserved a hot? Of course he did, but. So did many others. I'm okay. just saying that you are using hots or nots as an Essendon review segment, and so I'm giving you a not hot. All right. Okay. Very contrary of you. All right, I'll steer away from it next week. <laughs> All right. Uh, my, I'm, I'm, my... let, let me do it. By the way, I've got an Essendon hot coming up, oh, which okay. is the funny part of this. All right. Um, not, I'm going with Collingwood. Uh, like we said when we did the review, you could feel that this had been coming for a while. And in actual fact, I was in the rooms last night and um, a few people did sort of make that comment, you know what, this might actually end up being the kick in the ass we need. I think there's a bit of that feeling. So hopefully for them it is, but uh, it was a pretty stinky performance, lower score since 1995. Inside 50s told the tale, 36 for the game to 64 um, it was an absolute spanking, and finally it was on the scoreboard as well. I feel like they haven't really um, delivered their best since uh, the Round 5 win up in Brisbane against the Lions, and yep. that was they were at the peak of their powers that night, and the following week was Anzac Day, and they started really well in that game but then got pegged back, and since then they've sort of relied on you know quarters here, quarters there, and in fact in terms of quarters one, I think they're only about mid-table. So it's pretty remarkable they've managed to, by and large, keep winning, apart from that Frio loss, which was only by a kick until last night. But uh, there, there's a bit of... Well, Nathan Buckley basically alluded to it, didn't he? There's a bit of selfishness going on, you know, a bit of um, sort of, I'm all right, you know, you look after your own backyard sort of thing. That selflessness has been lost, and I think you um, you lose that without having the likes of Jeremy Howe on the side because he's a very selfless sort of player, and actually in terms of personnel, when you do run down a list of outs, it is pretty considerable, and um, you know we've been lauding their depth, but everyone's list has a breaking point, perhaps they've reached theirs, but uh, no doubt some of the stars aren't delivering quite as they should. Now, I don't think it's panic stations by any means, I'm pretty confident they'll sort of get their mojo back, um, so in that regard it might have been timely, but it was a really ordinary performance, and uh, there's no escaping that, five goals, seven under the closed roof uh, against the side, not really in contention for the eight. Uh, not good enough. No, good point. I think uh, it's the first time since they really flew up the ladder last year. So it's the first time in over 12 months that people look at Collingwood now and see gaps, see issues, and see a side that is vulnerable. Yeah. My second is a hot, and it's Sean McKernan. Mm. Now, a little story about Sean. Well, it's not about him. As he came, as he was in his last year with Adelaide and facing delisting, I was doing a golfing program as part of my evening work at 1116 SEN, and his brother came in, Corey, uh, to promote a golf tour that he was taking, I think, to the Masters or the British Open as part of Chasing Birdies. And just at the end of the segment, I had a bit of a chat with Corey, or after it, during the news break, and he said, finally, you know, you should pump up Sean a bit. He goes, he can really play. He honestly can. And he just hasn't had a look in at Adelaide. And there's a few clubs sniffing about him, but he might not. He might be lost to football. And he said to me, honestly, he's so much better than that. And I always 
considered that. And Essendon were the team that bravely rolled the dice with him. A few teams had a sniff around him. He's a very good player. A, a lot of people view Sean McKernan as tantalisingly promising without quite fully delivering. And I look at him a little bit differently. I look at him as somebody that Essendon has used as a bit of a fill-in when Danaher's not up or when the Ruckman are down. And I think he's always delivered. Mm. And given a fair run at it in a single position, I think he could be a very meaningful marking second forward. And well, I, yeah, well, injuries haven't been kind to him because no, he'd, he'd taken over injuries. that role and, last and year. injuries, of course. Yeah, yeah no, Corey... Um, I love Corey, incidentally. He's very active on Twitter, too. Yep, yeah. Um, yeah, no, Corey always flies a flag for Sean. It, it was really sort of heartfelt in terms yeah. of, he said to me, I know this seems like an older brother, and a much older brother. Yeah, just I think he's 18 years 14, old. 14 years oh, old. Oh, right, okay. But it, it's sort of like the Everett dynamic, wasn't it, with yeah. Peter and Andres? Yeah. I always thought Andres was Peter's son. The... <laughs> Well, they're from Hastings. So, <laughs> that's a shocking thing to say. Go on. So, uh, well, so, but he really was, a, I remember it so clearly. He was very honest and heartfelt in saying, Mark, I'm, I know it just comes across as me doing it for my brother. Mm. He said, I'm doing it as a footballer. He genuinely should not be lost to AFL footy. Well, I think Essendon supporters uh uh, I don't know what I'm saying. Are rooting for him. They 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 like him. Um, but they you should. know, but he does tantalise because he he tends to be a bit rags or riches. You know, like he's. But but that, I think they throw him around a bit. They yeah no he hasn't he, had a chance to settle down. And that's, when, what, that's and, what I'm asking for. And the last two times he he would have had that chance. He's been injured. So it happened last year. He was doing a great job in that key forward role. Came in when they turned the season around against Geelong and put a kick four that day. I think. It did really well, but then got injured. And it happened this year too. He came in for the Melbourne game after the first two losses and he played a ripper but got injured in the same game. So Let's just say at the start of next year, Danaher's fully fit. He's fully fit. Yeah. If they got a good run at it, both playing in the same team together, yeah. I think McKernan would be one of the most valuable second-marking forwards in the game. Yeah, I, look, I, I wax and wane a bit between him and Mitch Brown. I think Mitch Brown uh, is a really, really hard worker, and that's why I like him. And, yes, I do say that a lot. But I think Sean is the more talented footballer. So, um, yeah, I think both of them have their pluses. Anyway, that's enough on that one. Uh, final hot. Now, you had a crack at me. Uh, so I'm going to pile on too. I'm going to have a crack at myself because a few weeks on this show, a few weeks ago on this show, uh, we were talking about Ben Cunnington and I made the observation. I said, look, I think he doesn't get his just desserts because he's really good at a lot of things but not really elite in any, th- uh, any of them. And a, a lot of North supporters picked me up on that. And I had to think about it and I've sort of I, I actually went back and watched a few highlights and I've watched the game since and uh, you're quite right. And actually we interviewed Jack Zebel post game on AW and he is speaking about pumping someone's tires up, he just loves him. You know, he, he really and you could tell he really meant it. He was sort of saying, you know, we know he he is a bloody great footballer and it's what is it? It's his um Possession getting ability, which has increased as he's got older. Great hands. Yeah, so 37 touches uh, against the Pies, 24 handballs, and yes, he's without a doubt the best handballer in the game today, and they're often so quick you don't see them. 17 of those 37 um, touches were uh, contested ball, which he does beautifully. 
Um, he is ranked second for handball at the moment, second for contested ball, and he's number one in the AFL for clearances, averaging eight per game. Averages 17 contested possessions per game and eight clearances. And he's also, what else? He's good overhead for a guy that size. Mate, he is great overhead. Yep. Yep, no, he's an absolute gun. And I watched him at close quarters last night from down on ground level, and you see, you do see a different side of it. And I really, since these comments have been made, um, I've really watched him a lot more closely. And yes, I was wrong. He is elite in several facets of the game and an absolute star of AFL footy. You know, a bit of a special topic of mine in watching footy is underrated <clears throat> for, for players, something that they're underrated for that people don't know that they have this part to their game. And I think he, he is in that group of players underrated for his ability to mark. He took one again. He doesn't take a lot, but when he's in a contest mm. against somebody even not ridiculously taller than him, geez, a good mark. Yeah. I think he's actually, he's actually taller than he looks. And I think the lack of hair maybe makes you think he's shorter than he is. Yeah. Interesting you know, theory. Do you know one of my other underrateds? What? How bad a kick for goal Paddy Dangerfield is. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, I think people are starting to wise up really on that one. bad kick for goal. Yeah. Okay. My last is a not. Yep. And just as you did close analysis on Saturday night of Ben Cunnington, yep. on Friday night, I decided to give a very close look to Up the Guts because we've <laughs> had a bit to say about it. Yeah. And I was willing to either make it a hot or a not. It's a not. Okay. It's a very strange program. Dino, the original sort of co-host, has been relegated to a one-minute sketch each week with Franco Cozzo. It's it's funny. Franco Cozzo does something funny and Dino sits there, which is odd. Nat Ioannidis has taken his spot. She's actually quite good. But the actual structure... But of she's the, straight. She does a news... She pl- kind of. Well, she plays a straight... For a girl with no background in comedy, she actually plays the straight man in a couple of comedy bits with the host, Lawrence Mooney, quite well. Okay. All right, here's what's wrong with the program, and the problems are many, manifold. Is that the word? Yep. One, remember a few weeks ago I said, in the wreckage, they actually had a really good little sketch called On the Source? Yes, I've seen that. Okay. Now, Lawrence should know better than this. On the Source was very funny when first shown. It's slow motion of On the Couch with audio, which makes them sound like they're drawling, you know, and their words are slurred. It's a one-trick pony. That's the gag. Mm. Because it worked eight weeks ago, the fact that they do it every week shows... And Lawrence should know better than that. He's an experienced comedy man. Do you think it might be because that was the only thing they'd done to that stage got a laugh? I'm saying it got a very good response, obviously. Uh I picked up on it straight away as being very funny. I had never seen that before, which is odd. You just don't think of playing audio in slow-mo. It was very well done. Eight weeks later... The gag is the same. There's nothing funny about what's being said. Don't keep doing it. Yeah. One. Number two, they've gone from having footy co-hosts to another comedian more commonly. Sri Lankan guy. What? Come, no FM. No FM breakfast host. No. no oh, what? Having two comedians up there means that they're sort of scrapping over the same laugh. Yeah. Looking for the punchline, and that's a bit awkward. Mm. To me, the biggest sin on Friday night, and this is unforgivable, is that program has an opportunity because it's Friday night after the footy and nothing else is on. It's got a big audience. It's got a great lead in. 
And their job with producers and the host and everybody involved in the show is to watch Friday Night Football and to see if they can pick up anything humorous out of the game and work on that. Well, the footy gods served them up a no-brainer on Friday night, and I was appalled that they didn't use it. We had that very controversial moment when um, the goal that was given by Tim Kelly's bouncing shot of goal was paid a goal by the goal umpire, and the decision was reversed. Mm -hmm. Now, if you look at the vision of that, as the ball was going into the goal square, it was being tracked by Paddy Dangerfield. Mm. The ball went through, and the goal umpire gave it a goal, but it was a point. Later in the game, Paddy Dangerfield, with the game already decided, there was a goal by Geelong, ran through the goals, and that same goal umpire, David Roden, ex-AFL mm. footballer, mm. did something I've never seen a goal umpire do. He gave Paddy Dangerfield a low five. I saw it. It I was liked cute. It. it was cute, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. Obviously from their playing days. Yeah. Now, what producers or what presenters of a comedy show wouldn't make something out of those two pieces of vision. Honestly, don't you come back and, and say, well, I think we know why David Roden gave the goal. He secretly, he plays for Geelong or his mates. Have a look at this. You, you just would have used it, wouldn't you? Yeah. And to me, as somebody who's written for comedy shows before and for footy shows, that was sinful. And then the final sin was something I've never heard before on TV. This should have been your rant. Yeah, go on. Well, it could have, but it isn't. Do you know how that show, what they said at the end of Up the Guts on Friday? Thank you and good night. No, we're off for two weeks. Lawrence is going to Italy to renew his vows with his wife. Two weeks off, we'll see you in a fortnight. I've never heard that from a <laughs> weekly show in my life. Do you think I can be coming back? Well, I don't know if they're coming back, which is why I did it tonight. Okay. Uh, what do you think I'll have instead? From maybe, oh, yeah, maybe a special edition of The Bounce. <laughs> maybe or the Friday stretch. Maybe we'll get a call finding and they'll uh, they'll chuck footyology on. Two football. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what what was I thinking? All right, that's hot or not. Uh let's uh well you're already fired up, but uh let's fire up a bit more. On footyology the rant off. Okay, I know we usually use this segment to take the piss, but finally I've actually got a serious one tonight. Very serious, or because normally, normally it's um, tongue in cheek or facetious. No, it's straight it, up. I'm making a, a oh. reasonable point. I'm looking forward to it. All right, count me in. One, two, three, boy. I'm pissed off with the obsession with AFL coaches, Finey, specifically this misguided belief that every win-loss thrashing, the state of the game, the price of food at the footy, and quite possibly the falling economy is because of them. Doesn't it strike you as odd how dramatically the tide seems to have turned in recent weeks? For the last two years, because Damien Hardwick got Richmond to a flag, then Nathan Buckley resurrected his standing at Collingwood, sticking fat with the man in charge was the only way to go. But it must have got a bit boring for some of the media with short attention spans, because ever since Carlton gave Brendan Bolton the chop a month ago, it seems like it's open season on the guys sitting in the boxes again. We've not only had one more change at North Melbourne with Brad Scott departing, but seemingly half the other coaches in the league taking it in turns to supposedly be coaching for their lives every week. This week, there was another two in the gun, John Warsfold and Alan Richardson. 
Now Woosher is apparently safe again because the Bombers got over the line against GWS on Thursday night, while the pretty transparent Let's Get Richo the Chop campaign at St Kilda goes on in earnest. There's something really sus about that one too. After the Saints had won four of their first five, despite missing at some stages close to half their best lineup, there were plenty of people calling Richardson Coach of the Year. And yes, they're some of the same ones now potting him left, right and centre. See, for the media, it's an easy story. Turn up the heat on one individual by finding a couple of disaffected players or staffers keen for a change of leader. It's certainly a lot easier than doing some research into the injuries they've suffered, their development, recruiting and various twists of fortune that might all have more to do with the team's performance in the longer run. In fact, it's fingernail deep analysis. Hence why after three wins in four games as caretaker coach, a few pundits are already calling for Reece Shaw to be given the North Melbourne gig full time. For the fans, the coach is also an easy target, mainly because it allows them to cling to the belief that their club's senior list is good enough to be doing much better than it is. None ever seem to consider the possibility that Jock McHale himself mightn't have a better win-loss ratio with the same group of players because they're simply not good enough. Bolton was arguably getting less out of Carlton last year when he survived than this season when he got the arse. Scott's ruse won his last game in charge and may have turned things around anyway. Warsfold is a far more consistent character than the Essendon players at his disposal. And call me soft, but I reckon if Richardson is dispensed with after the obstacles in his way this season and what the Saints have managed regardless, he's been dudded. That's a, as you said, very straight-delivered, serious piece of work. And I see you pointing the finger at me with Reshaw, but I think he will. <laughs> I think he'll keep the job. No, well, he might too. But you see where I'm getting no, at, no, don't you? Very well reasoned. I mean, like for two years, you know, the the narrative has been, you know, you got to support them and you have got to put structure around them, and and now all of a sudden it's, you know, like certain journo's have written like a weekly column on, okay, this week if this guy doesn't get a win, he's stuffed. If this guy doesn't get a win, he's stuffed. It's more than about the senior coach. That's me out of the way. Uh, time for your rant, Finey. No rant. What do you mean? Well, I've decided I'm not going to rant this week. I want to finish with the song. You know how we finish with the song? Yes. I'm no singer, but I'm going to finish with the song. So that your the song is it's your rant. rant. Yes. Yeah. That's I don't it. know. If, mm, you didn't run po- this by me earlier. But, I know. That's, um, that's why it's going to be so exciting. Uh, exciting or uh, full of anxiety? Podcast um, without a safety net. Okay, all right. I don't know if I'm comfortable with this, but we'll see how we go. All right, well, uh, before you get to that then, I will sign off. Thanks for listening again. I uh, hope your team had a good win. Quick reminder about our competition finding. Our competition this week is any footballer in an advertisement. can be TV, radio, maybe in the newspaper, but some of them going back in the day were absolutely cringeworthy and worthy of a prize from our great sponsors, Andrew's Hamburgers, 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park, and a big shout-out to Nick Spartels, Spartels and Hardwick Build Co. He's a mad Carlton man. His father was on the committee there, and I think this very night he might be very proud. So well done, Nick. Proud of his wonderful company and proud of his football team. And we're getting some good entries in already, so keep them coming. Email them to info at footyology.com.au. We'll see you on Thursday. I might just run out of the room while this happens. Finey, I'm going to count you in. Three, two, one. I like the Lions and I cannot lie. You other fans can't deny that when the Lions are on with all that pace, they're in your face. Hey, them guys are pretty tough. I know that they're not stuffed. 
even if the G they're daring. I'm hooked and I can't stop staring. Oh, Chris Fagan, I want to get with you and be in the picture. My St. Boyd's tried to warn me, but that team you got makes me... Ooh, Harris Andrews in the All-Australian team. He takes hanger off the hanger because he's not your average ranger. I see you, Steph Martin. All the things you startin', I bet, I bet. Leave it Melbourne, you don't regret. I'm tired of magazines. Saying G-Long is the team. Take the average Queenslander telling that. He'll put you flat on your back. So, fellas, yeah. fellas, yeah. can Lions make Hell the eight? Yeah. They'll make it. it. Make it. Lions will make the eight. Brisbane is back. Brisbane is back. I like them cause they're quick. Their movement is slick. I just don't have the words. Charlie Cameron. You can add Cam Rayner. And they're going to mm, double team. Uh, uh. I ain't talking about magpies. That team makes too much noise. We're too quick. We're too pacey. Don't forget my pacey double. Magpies in trouble. Eddie, we're going to burst your bubble. So I'm looking at mag videos. Midfield rookies all playing like pros. Your mids are slow moles. I like my centers like Zorko. A word to the bomber, Mr. Roko, Mr. Dub the dance. Till Wooster is gone. Saints won't like this song. But they get it. And they butcher it. But I'd rather watch Brisbane play. Because they're long and strong. And don't get their forward entries wrong. Yeah, Roko. When it comes to football, my Saints ain't got nothing to do with my selection. Nine goals, 70 points. Ha <laughs> ha! Only if it's in the third quarter against St. Kilda. So your backline's led by Hagi, even though his back is Dagi. But Hagi don't care that his back is Dagi. He hip foot is a gun. One day he'll kick the ton. Eric, don't lose that flair. Some brothers want to play the hard role and say that a scrap is gold. But at the Lions, I ain't lying. Them brothers' names is Lion. So everybody picks the cats. Well, I ain't down with that. When you move it fast and your game is kicking, I'm thinking about sticking to the beanpole kid in the forward line. You just one of four Max, McInerney, McCarthy, McLuggage, and McStay. Some knucklehead tried to diss, because Brisbane's at the top of my list. But they got game, that's why I pick them, and I reckon you should get with them. Roko, did you see this round? They shot Melbourne down. Dial 1900 Brisbane flag and kick them nasty thoughts. Brisbane is back. Brisbane is back. I tell you, Roko, this team's going to win the flag. Yeah, they're good, baby. Real good. They're going to win it. 